0: If you want to know how to vet a deal quickly, go to BrickinInvestmentGroup.com forward slash checklist and download our free guide for how to vet a deal in under 10 minutes. Let's be honest, there are a lot of deals out there to review and you can spend a ton of time reviewing the wrong opportunities. Download the guide and it will help you not only clarify what it is you are looking for, but also vet deals much more quickly. BrickinInvestmentGroup.com forward slash checklist.
1: Real estate investors... Not necessarily developers who, who are marketing their name, but people like, you know, me and you and my clients that invest, they don't necessarily wanting their employees or their neighbors or anybody knowing what they own and becoming a, a, a target because they got into a wreck and somebody finds out they own eight properties or whatever. And now, instead of taking the insurance money from the wreck, they want, you know, to go after the person. So what we've been doing is filing what I call anonymous LLCs, and some states allow that and some don't, Texas does. So I've got a slew of clients now where you'll never find their name in public records.
0: Welcome to the How to Scale Commercial Real Estate Show. Whether you are an active or passive investor, we'll teach you how to scale your real estate investing business into something big. Hey David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is great, this is great. We don't typically get the opportunity to interview someone who has been in the financial services industry and yet also has a deep bench of experience on the real estate side. Usually it's one or the other. And it seems like many times those industries kind of are almost at odds with each other where one guy says, hey, real estate's bad. The other guy says stocks and bonds are bad. But you have the experience coming from both sides of the table. I'd love to hear your story. The same questions I ask everybody who comes on Kind of where'd you start where are you now and if you can you know briefly tell us those and then tell us how you got there i'd love to hear that
1: so i started out in the in the brokerage business where they indoctrinate you in the warehouse world with the notion that over time stocks have and will outperform everything else from you know precious metals to real estate to bonds or anything else and they they have the data to back it up and so Two things, you know, early on terrified me. One is someone that knew about discount brokers. So instead of paying me 250 bucks to buy 100 shares of stock, he could do it for 20. That was terrifying. And real estate investors. It seemed like real estate investors were either, this is not completely true, but they're either into real estate only and cash, because liquidity is king in that business, or they may have a hybrid approach, which is rare. Even if that's the case, that was pretty much self a uh, self-directed type investor that wasn't really going to listen to a you know a financial professional, but it wasn't until I I got out of the uh, the wirehouse money management or brokerage business and formed my own investment advisory firm that somebody approached me about raising money for an apartment complex, and I thought, wow, that's I could offer all sorts of things to to my clients to get more diversification, and just expand, you know, what my service offering was to attract even more clients, which is exactly what happened. Now, around 2000 and I guess right around 07, 08, it was really a two-year period where I moved completely out of stocks and into junk bonds because there were such incredible yields in that, used them as stock substitutes because you have a lot less risk in bonds than you do stocks, even though they can certainly default on you, that didn't happen. And was very uh, lucky, actually, to, to earn market-type returns without any market investments. Mm. And then I met a guy that was lending money to uh, developers, fix-and-flippers, and that kind of crowd called hard money loans, which were short-term bridge loans, charging 5% upfront or five origination points and 14% interest. And I said, who in their right mind would pay that? And he said, you'd be surprised. I thought that's great i said where does your money come from he says we have investors i said well i have investors and we kind of you know got his card he got my card uh we actually met at a friend's office i had no idea he was going to be there and then i don't know two weeks later i ran into him at a at a starbucks he was meeting with a with a builder and he had all of his plans and drawings and all this uh, spread out on a table and they were drinking coffee and i introduced myself i said do you remember me he said yeah and he introduced me to his builder client. And I looked the guy in the eyes. just kind of bold of me, but I said, I said, uh, why would you pay 14% interest on a loan? He said, well, it's really not what I'm paying that matters. It's what I'm making that matters. And I said, oh, okay. And he showed me, you know, on his list of expenses, his carry cost, his, his lumber, you know, it's just another expense. And he stood to make, you know, 80 grand on that spec house if it did his numbers right, including all the interest carry. And I agreed to go meet with this guy at his office. And lo and behold, you know, I put a small seven figure sum into a portfolio of different loans as they came available. And, of course, now uh, a lot of these lenders are using uh, a fund, like a mutual fund, to pool the capital and then make all these different loans along the same Line. I decided to uh, uh, venture off. I actually sold the money management business completely, got out of that, and started forming LLCs for real estate investors and uh, boned up on my on my skills in the entity formation, asset protection realm. Because people that own real estate are concerned about being sued or losing their assets to someone that they don't even know. You know that, that leased the apartment or fell fixing a ceiling tile whatever and uh, an asset uh, correctly uh, you know established or, or created uh, asset protection strategy involves uh, one or more entities that at least here in texas and most other states prevent someone from going in there and, and snatching the assets and so i use my you know financial background in different types of investments To help me structure entities that are flexible and yet offer this uh almost bulletproof type of uh, protection so that's pretty much what i'm doing now
0: that's fascinating so i would i would assume that that um i mean everybody that i know that is in the entity formation asset protection has a very uh a legal background is that something you have or is that something that's required or is this something that you can self-educate on
1: i'm i'm self-taught but uh by attorneys and I got very lucky, very early on in my career, my dad was a uh, an obstetrician and they have a lot of exposure. And so I became interested in asset protection from day one. And he introduced me to an attorney that taught me a lot about asset protection, wills and trusts, how to read them, the difference between revocable, irrevocable, grantor trust, everything that I needed to know to empower me as a broker. And then later on, an attorney approached me about a partnership to where I can meet with clients and discuss things with them and then they would come in and do their part. And together we could create asset protection strategies where there was a lawyer, you know, in the middle. Now an LLC can be formed by a legal Zoom or a CPA or a guy 7 Eleven if he's got the you know the cojones to do it. So you don't need a you do need a legal background, but you certainly don't need a bar license to uh, you know form an entity. But sure. the guy that taught me the series LLC business here in, in in Texas, which we're one of 14 states that has the ability to form one, you know, major overarching entity and then have sub-entities called series where you could put individual properties without forming yet another LLC. That attorney used to be a US attorney and was a prosecutor and then litigator. And he was the one you'd hire if you wanted to try to bust open a, a, a an LLC and defeat it. So he knows how to structure them on the other side, which is to prevent that. Mm. It's kind of like hiring a, a crook to design your alarm system, right? Right, right. So it's the same. You know, you can, you can, I just, I'm on bigger pockets all the time. And somebody is posting there today that they can go to LegalZoom and create an LLC cheap. And I, I said, you know, that's true, but you won't know if the parachute's going to open and you're going to rest comfortably to the ground or if you're going to kill yourself until you jump out of the airport. Right. You won't know. So, you know, good luck. There's a lot. It's it's just the people don't understand. It's not just about formation. It's also about how you run it. Are you following the operating agreement? Are you segregating the assets? Are you doing your books? Are you keeping it current with the state? There's a lot that has to happen for you to succeed in the event that somebody comes after you. It's not just getting it filed. That's really you know one tenth of one percent of the whole program. So I'm fortunate that I've been surrounded by legal counsel. I still have access to them. I mean I'm on the phone with an attorney at least every four times a week, maybe not five, getting advice or you know working together. So dealing with me, the client kind of gets the best of both worlds. An investment advisor by training, and yet I have this other experience I can draw upon because even attorneys, they don't understand all the ins and outs of life insurance policies and annuities and, and joint tenancy and rights of survivorship. Uh, they can't. So what happens is a lot of times they draft a really good document that actually doesn't do what the client thought it was going to do. Right. That's how I learned. What I learned is by picking up the pieces afterwards. Oh, wow. So I've got a lot of business from clients that, that went to a so-called you know a specialist. But specialists didn't ask if they had parents that might need support, for example, and they got left out of the will, things like that.
0: Parents that might need support? What do you mean by that?
1: Well, let's say that you and your wife come to me and you say, I, you know, I, I want a will for our kids and protect us in the event that something happens and yet your your mother is is just on the cusp of not being able to pay her bills because of some medical event. So if you died, she would have no one to take care of her financially. So we need to add her to your plan or she could get left out in the cold.
0: Mm.
1: Maybe only for the next five or ten years, but still. I learned that because somebody brought it up that they had a, a parent in India that's that's barely making it, and so we created a trust that would provide an income stream for her in the event that he and his wife both perished.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, those are things you just there. There's so many facets to this that it's almost um, it's it's almost overwhelming. It is
1: overwhelming. Well, to a lot of people, I mean, not if you study it, but it, it is a uh, a rather complex endeavor for the you know for the layperson. Right, right. Yeah, it can be done. In fact, the, the 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 most recent. This is really attractive to real estate investors, and it's for me only been the last year that I've even known about this. But privacy, privacy is a big issue. A lot of uh, real estate investors, not necessarily developers who who are marketing their name, but people like. You know, me and you and my clients that invest, they don't necessarily wanting their employees or their neighbors or anybody knowing what they own. Right, sure. And becoming a a, a target because they got into a wreck and somebody finds out they own eight properties or whatever. And now, instead of taking the insurance money from the wreck, they want, you know, to go after the person. So what we've been doing is filing what I call anonymous LLCs. And some states allow that and some don't. Texas does. So I've got a slew of clients now where you'll never find their name in public records.
0: That's pretty great.
1: I mean, Michael Dell, Michael Dell lives here in Austin. You type in uh, his to the appraisal district and uh, you'll find out that he lives in a $40 million house and exactly where that is. Mm. I think that's crazy. Why does he have his name on all of his stuff? So it could be the North Austin Revocable Trust, and nobody can ever know what that is because it's private. Right. So what we do is we use the trust to become the member of the LLC, and the state doesn't ask who's behind the trust. They only they want to know who the registered agent is, and that can be anybody.
0: Right. Could they not, let me, look, can I ask this question? Could they not then go to the registered agent and require them to disclose? Certainly. If a judge orders them to, but only then. Right.
1: Like if somebody called me up and said, "Who is this? You know, behind this?" I can't. I can't give out that information. If I get served, uh, I hand the papers to the client. By the way, I do this for about fifteen people, act as a registered agent, and because uh, most of them don't live here or, or they don't want their, you know, they just, they want they want to do the whole privacy thing, start to finish. So, if they get, I get sued, I get the papers and I hand deliver them. But it's up to the uh, the plaintiff in that case to demand. Uh, discovery and in discovery, you're going to know everything. There's no way to hide. Right. So once that's once somebody sues you, they they will find out what they want to know. But they have to cross all those hurdles and spend all that money. And if they're going to do it, they're going to do it anyway, right? Sure. Sure. So we can't stop that. We can make it less likely. We can make it more difficult. You know, it's kind of like going back to the alarm scenario. You can have the, uh, the blinking light in the window. You can have uh, a barking dog. You can have signs everywhere and that uh, motion detector floodlight thing where you step on the property, all of a sudden you're in bright lights. Is it impossible to break in? No. But if the neighbors next door have no lights, no alarm, no dog, and the front door is open, it's just easier to go next door. Sure. It may not be your first choice. But, you know, it's
0: just the path of least resistance. No, that's fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating. I'd love to go back a little bit because you've in the last, I guess I call it 12, 13 years, you've done a lot of different pieces. Uh, and and I, kinda, I actually really appreciate the transitions as you've gone through them because you went from um, working, you know, a brokerage to owning your own brokerage to then discovering hard money loans and uh, then investing, taking your investors and putting them into apartments. And as you know, a lot of things have changed. You're investing in junk bonds, even you know, which which may have had incredible yields back in you know 2007, 2008. I guess what I have seen is that as the margins get compressed, and as as more people pile into a particular investment, typically the riskier it's getting, and they don't know it, right? And maybe right now, hard money loans, even though the the margins are thin, is far more risky than it was in 2009, say. So. The world of finance
1: in an economic sense is pretty efficient. You know, there aren't a group of mice that always get to the cheese first, like these hedge fund managers found out last week vis-a-vis uh, GameStop. Right. They they can be right and they can be wrong. But uh, as far as, the, you know, the risk of junk bonds, um, the risk – the yields have gone down. And the risk of default is is pretty much you know the same. You know, if you have a triple B versus a triple C, you're gonna see a spread difference that's much narrower than it was 10 or 15 years ago. But the risk of default is is pretty much the same. But that was an exception. That was an exception where the market, I guess, uh, was inefficient mm. for a period of time where you could get really, really good yields without taking the type of risk that you would think. I'm talking about buying bonds with a 20% return. That sounds crazy. That's wild. And it happened. I did it over and over and over. And I got, maybe I was lucky, maybe it was the research I did, but I had one default, which was the, the parent company of U-Haul, the trailer company. And they actually paid more in bankruptcy than, than the bonds. We paid for the bonds in the first place. It's, it was crazy. And that was exactly what this analyst told me. So you just have to be shrewd. And I think hard money right now, if, if I was living on my money, which I'm not, by the way, but if I, if I had passive cash, I would put a significant amount in hard money. I've been around hard money, I guess, over 10 years now. And I've seen some defaults, but I've seen very few.
0: in mm-hmm.
1: My circle of friends, and I know more than one you know, hard money lender. So getting 8%, which is what I think you can get now as an investor, 8 or 9, is a pretty good return compared to money market. Uh, and I don't think there – yes, there's more risk. Uh, but if you have your money in you know, 30 or 40 or 50 different loans like in a fund, it's, any default is going to have very little impact on your principal. If we have massive defaults, then, yeah, that's a problem. Um, so I think you can exploit – and the same thing goes for real estate. If you you know uh, buy a C-class a C cl- apartment complex and you upgrade it to a B-class, your, uh, your rents go up over time. And if cap rates stay the same, you do the same analysis on your net operating income, and now the market price has gone up because it's driven by the net operating income. Right. That's because you're actually working. You're creating something that wasn't there before, and there's risk in that. But we know that people have to have a place to live. So it's apartments, homes, duplexes, by and large. Uh, you know, I, I can't speak for other markets because Austin is going nuts right now, but I don't think people are, are suddenly going to stop paying their rent or their mortgage payment.
0: Right, no, I, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. David, I know, uh, I know you're out of time. So we're going we're gonna to skip all the way to the last question to the final four, which is if our listeners want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that?
1: Well, thank you. So my website is the, the company name, 360networth. It's all together, 360networth.com. And my phone number is 512-464-1110. And I appreciate you uh, having me
0: on the show. David, thank you so much. Certainly appreciate your time today. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the How to Scale Commercial Real Estate Podcast. If you can do me a favor, and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever platform it is you use to listen. If you can do that for us, that would be a fantastic help to the show. It helps us both attract new listeners as well as rank higher on those directories. So appreciate you listening. Thanks so much and hope to catch you on the next episode.